So I'm going to preach from uh, down here this morning, and Matthew, I'm going to borrow your music stand and put your things right there. And if uh, any of you want to come where you're not in back of me, that's fine. We'll give you plenty of time. There's uh, and and I want to make a a point of saying explicitly, you know, obviously I love it when we've got a full sanctuary of worshipers, but when there are just 50 or 60 of us like uh, this, it allows us to be in conversation with one another a little bit more. So I'm going to preach a sermon that's a little bit shorter than usual, and then I'm going to give you a few minutes to react to it. Um, and I would love to know um, just a, a few words from uh, whoever wants to volunteer about uh, what this draws up in you, um, if there are things that you'd like to talk more about, um, if you'd like to know if there's anybody else in the room that's interested in the same elements of it that you are, um, I want to give you that opportunity. Um, so let us pray together. Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations and words of all of our hearts May they be acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, So so this past week, um, this doesn't always happen to me, but this past week I found uh, to be an interesting one to read about business and investments in the newspaper, in a variety of different news items. Um, One of them uh, was a a piece of news out of Seattle. Uh, Many of you may have read one place or another that Microsoft is investing $500 million in the development of local affordable housing. Now, of course, this uh, part of this move is practical. Uh, that if housing prices in Microsoft's uh, area of Seattle and really citywide continue the way that they are, uh, Microsoft will find it impossible to hire security or food services staff. Um, and even the higher paid employees in the neighborhoods where they, they, they live will not be able to find housing in reach of firefighters or police or, uh, or teachers or ambulance drivers. So this is something that they need to do. Um, and at the same time, this move does not seem to me to, me to be a uh, purely selfish one, uh, because certainly Microsoft could have called the housing pricing uh, crisis somebody else's problem. Uh, and certainly uh, many times over, Bill Gates and the company that he founded have proven themselves to have a genuine commitment to the common good. And so I'd like to think that there is some real Uh, quality moral leadership going on here. And then closer to home here in Cincinnati, um, there's another uh, story that I read. WCPO published an article this week. It was about a different kind of development, the growing presence of CDCs, community development corporations, uh, in our city of Cincinnati. There are community development corporations in uh, a number of places, but the three in this article uh, were about Walnut Hills, Northside, and Price Hill. These are neighborhoods that have been changing rapidly in recent years, and CDCs are organizations that wish to approach those changes with a model that is different than conventional gentrification. And so they encourage neighborhood development that truly benefits the people who lived there in the first place instead of just pricing them out of their homes. The CDCs begin their work by going into the neighborhood and talking to the residents themselves. Imagine that. And they ask them what kinds of services and resources they think their neighborhood needs. 
And then they work with the community to identify properties that might be redeveloped, and they find investors to redevelop those properties into things like affordable housing and community centers, and small businesses, importantly, whose profits, whose profits won't leave the neighborhood but will stay within it. And in these three neighborhoods in Cincinnati where, uh, that, that I mentioned, uh, these are also neighborhoods where big supermarket chains have moved out saying that they can't make a profit. And so the CDCs are also interested in exploring strategies to support small and even mobile grocery store options. Maybe a neighborhood can't support a Kroger marketplace, but there are still people there who need to shop and buy food. So both of these stories, the one in Seattle and the one in Cincinnati, they appeared in the very same week as an open letter that was written by Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, which is the world's largest investment bank. And uh, Fink has something of a reputation for being an outspoken advocate of corporate responsibility. He uh, frequently publishes these open letters that go to shareholders, but that he also addresses to other CEOs around the world. In this week's letter, Fink argued that our country is lacking the moral leadership that we need from the elected officials, and so our, our business owners must take moral leadership not only in their individual lives, but in the way they run their companies. Businesses cannot be only about profits, they must be about purpose. And Larry Fink is not alone in this thinking. Surely there are other uh, CEOs, there, there are his detractors, other CEOs who wish that he wouldn't advise them on how to run their companies. Uh, but there are many others, uh, other CEOs and some very prominent economists who have argued for what they're calling pro-social business. And they advocate that pro-social business actually supports rather than detracts from profits. There's an article in the Harvard Business Review a few weeks ago just talking about that. Uh, so yes, it was an interesting week uh, to read about business and moral leadership in our various publications. But what does all this have to do with the Bible anyway, right? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> now this passage of scripture that Evan read for us this morning, the one from Corinthians, um, it gets read a lot in church. It's about spiritual gifts. It's about the variety of spiritual gifts. Pastors love talking about this passage because it reminds you that we need all different kinds of people with all different kinds of gifts uh, in God's community. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but there are the same spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And Paul, who was the author of uh, this, this letter, writes about these uh, varieties of spiritual gifts in lots of different places. You might uh, remember that there's uh, another place where he talks about how the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Uh, we talk about those passages from Paul's letters all the time. God gives us a variety of gifts. Paul wants us to remember that and that all of them are important and that all of them are useful and that all of them need to be valued. It's an important message and thankfully we share it frequently. But then there's the part that comes before that in today's message and it doesn't get written, uh, read anywhere near as 
frequently. Paul begins by saying this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And he continues, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now that language is a little bit less familiar to us. It's a little more archaic. Uh, So what does he mean there? Well, essentially, Paul means that if the words you speak and the things you do oppose the teachings of Jesus, they will always be unspiritual, profane, and fleeting, no matter who you are. And when your words and actions, on the other hand, when your words and actions match the teachings of Jesus, they will always be holy. And even things that you never thought would be holy, that you never thought could be holy, become sacred. To use an example of this, we, unfortunately, we all know too many stories of ministers, people who we assume are supposed to have some holiness in their lives, who embezzle funds and abuse children and lead in ways that have nothing to do with what Jesus stood for. Far too often, something that is supposed to be holy is used to curse Jesus. On the other hand, and this is really the point that I'm talking about today, there are people involved in all kinds of secular and tactical and mundane work whose purposes are completely aligned with the gospel. Their work is sacred. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what you do. We all have choices to make. We all have to determine ways to use our gifts in ways that are holy. So that's what Paul is saying in that that first part. He's talking about the gifts that we don't expect to be holy and the ways that we can make them holy, the way that God can make them holy. And here, the Apostle Paul is making roughly the same point as Larry Fink. Business is business, but to what end? That's Larry Fink's question. What positive ends are you hoping to achieve in the world? Will the world look better because your company existed? And to put Paul's gloss over that same message, how are you using the variety of gifts you have been given to the glory of God? And that's a question that's not just for CEOs. All of us can ask that question. So here's what I found most challenging as I thought about that message this week. For a long time, I have encouraged people who are members of the church to volunteer in the church in ways that do not match the gifts and skills they know the most. For example, people who work in business and finance in their professional lives, I often almost discourage them from joining the budget and finance committee at our church. I ask them to do something else. Perhaps they should be stretching themselves in a different direction 
teaching Sunday school, taking a class on prayer, singing in the choir, making dinner for homeless guests. These are ways to explore another side of yourself. Here at church, you might discover something about yourself that you never had the chance to discover at work. The same argument applies beyond business and finance. It's not just about one discipline. Just because you're a great parent does not mean that you should be working in the nursery at church. Maybe you'd like to have a break. Right? Now, I do believe that this way of thinking, this uh, way of volunteer recruitment, has some purpose to it. You should be able to do something here that is new and different, try something else, be uh, stretched to find spiritual gifts you didn't know you had. And at the same time, Larry Fink's letter this week showed me a gap in my thinking. What if we are missing something big because we are not encouraging people to do their best, most highly skilled, and most creative thinking right here in the church? What if we're missing something because we're inviting them to keep that at work and, in, and we're not inviting them to being, be, bring their best, most highly skilled, most creative and stretched thinking into the church here, where the needy gets the benefits and the glory belongs to God. What would that look like? And as you think about that question, because that's, that's kind of the, the leading question that I'd like for you to uh, give me some feedback on for five or ten minutes. As you're thinking about what that might look like, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Back in November, I showed our session a few short video presentations about creative work that Presbyterians are doing around the country. There were a variety of different topics in those short videos, but because the topic I've been talking about this morning is business, I'll kind of stay on that track with this example. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, in the main quad, there is a beautiful old Presbyterian church, 111 years old, beautiful Gothic structure right in the middle of campus, and it's known as Prez House. Fourteen years ago, a new pastor, Mark Elsden, arrived at that amazing strategic location and discovered that the Presbyterian ministry on the campus of the University of Wisconsin was non-existent. There were no Presbyterians in campus ministry, zero. Now Mark Elston was a pretty smart guy, innovative guy, good pastor, and so it took a little bit of a bit of time, but he got out there and he started to develop a small group of students who wanted to restart a ministry together. And together they believed that God was still at work on their campus and that they could do something together, but it wasn't going to be enough to sustain Prez House, which was in serious financial trouble and had been for a long time. Now, in this case, the pastor had a business background. Mark Elston had been in business before he got into ministry. And it happened that as he learned the history of Prez House, he discovered that 80 years ago, there had been a dream about developing Presbyterian student housing adjacent to the church in a parking lot that was still there. 
And that dream had died during the Great Depression. It never came to fruition. This pastor knew Madison, and he knew the University of Wisconsin well enough to know that student housing right in the middle of campus was one of the things that was needed most. And he also knew that he had several important gifts. Prez House owned the property, and they could do with it whatever they wanted. And he knew that the Presbyterian Church and many of our congregations have amazing networks of healthy invested funds that can be used in creative ways. And Mark himself and individuals on his board knew how to get together the right group of people to manage a big project. Today, next to Prez House, there is a seven-story, $17 million building of Presbyterian student housing. It is 100% in alignment with the mission of Prez House. Students live there together in intentional communities. They worship together. They learn together. And more than 750 students are active in the Presbyterian ministry at the University of Wisconsin, involved in worship and study and mission on a weekly basis. And it all happened because the Holy Spirit led a group of people to use gifts and skills God had given them. Gifts that many times we don't think of as spiritual gifts. Incidentally, if you want to watch the video yourself and hear Mark Elsden talk about this, I will link it to the copy of the sermon I post this week. It is an amazing story about God taking gifts that we seldom think of as sacred, finance, investing, real estate, and ask what they have to do with the purposes and work of Jesus Christ in the world. And it leaves us with a question this morning that is on my mind all the time. I wonder in what ways God might ask us to look more deeply at the gifts we have and what we might do with them. And I'd love to take a minute to hear what that uh, story brings up in all of you. Thanks, Carolyn.